0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, the Ethics Commissioner clears the Prime Minister of any wrongdoing in the We Charity controversy, but finds the former Finance Minister, Bill Morneau, guilty of a conflict of interest for his role in the failed student grant program. MPs will be here to debate the findings and the consequences. The war of words between the Prime Minister and the Ontario Premier wraps up over travel and border restrictions to curb the spread of COVID-19. And our panel of party commentators will be here to talk about the latest ethics report and pandemic political challenges. And we begin tonight with a long-awaited report from Canada's Ethics Commissioner on the accusations of conflict of interest against the Prime Minister and the former Finance Minister over their roles in the failed summer jobs program involving the WE Charity. Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion has ruled that the Prime Minister did not breach the conflict of interest rules by participating in the decision-making to award WE the funding to administer the summer jobs program during the pandemic. That program fell apart, of course. Uh, Dion uh, did write that Trudeau's family connections to the WE charity may have created the appearance of conflict, but that isn't enough to constitute a breach of the act. As for the former and- finance minister, Bill Morneau, Dion found he did breach conflict of interest rules on three occasions by improperly furthering the private interests of We Charity and that We Charity had unfettered access to the finance minister's office. Morneau resigned last summer while the controversy raged. There are no penalties for breaching the act. So does this ethics report put an end to the WE controversy and ongoing efforts by opposition MPs at uh, parliamentary committees and elsewhere to keep it alive? Let's bring in three members of Parliament to discuss uh, the latest developments on all of this. Adam Vancouverton is the Parliamentary Secretary to uh, the Minister of Diversity. Eric Duncan is the Question Period Coordinator for the Official Opposition Conservatives. Charlie Angus is the Ethics Critic for the NDP. It's good to see you all. Uh, Mr. Vancouverton, let me start with you. The Prime Minister has been uh, cleared by the Ethics Commissioner who concluded the awarding of the contract to WE. We did give rise to the strong appearance of conflict, but that the appearance of conflict isn't included in the definition of the conflict of interest uh, in the Act. Therefore, no contravention. Uh, The Prime Minister, though, has already stated he should have recused himself from the We decision. So what does this finding from the Ethics Commissioner really mean today?
1: What it means is that there has been no reason to, uh, to suspect impropriety or any sort of a conflict of interest. Uh, I am very grateful for the hard work of the Conflict of Interest Commission and, and his team. Uh, but what this confirms is that for the last 10 months, the opposition have been, you know, stressing that there has been some issue to, uh, to consider, and there has not been. Uh, there's, there's no evidence of impropriety in relation to the decisions made uh, by Cabinet or the Prime Minister. And this means, you know, you know, that we can move on and that all members of parliament can uh, reaffirm their commitment to supporting okay. Canadians through this pandemic right. and not chasing down rabbit holes of conspiracy theories.
0: All right, Mr. Duncan, Notwithstanding the appearance of conflict, which the ethics commissioner says was there, uh, he ruled that the prime minister did not further the private interest of family members or give preferential treatment to we. So what's your reaction to these findings from the ethics commissioner today?
2: Well, first of all, I, I take exception. Bill Morneau was found guilty on the WE Charity scandal, so the Liberal government has been implicated in wrongdoing on this, period. Mm-hmm. And Peter, what it shows to me is that our accountability laws are out of date and they need to be updated. There is no way how the Prime Minister could help organize $500 million to go to his friends at the Weed Charity, of which his family gets $300,000 in expenses, and that's not a conflict of interest. Uh, we've said, and this actually decision, what it proves is our work is not done. To your point about what's next, We need to update the anti-corruption laws and accountability laws in this country. I think people are looking at this today stunned, frankly, that this is not a conflict of interest. So our work continues on this to change the laws, and that's what Canadians expect of us.
0: Mr. Angus, let me get a reaction from you. What what do you think of what we heard today from the Ethics Commissioner?
3: Well, I think the Ethics Commissioner dropped a bombshell. Uh, This is not about whether Bill Morneau should have recused himself. What we saw was that the office of the finance minister of a G7 country was openly hustling gigs for the Kielberger brothers. Uh, they were making calls to provincial departments. They were calling down to the municipal level. The conflicts were so clear. He gives a very damning picture about the insider access that people who very well connected to key liberal ministers, Bartosz, Chegg, or Qualtro they're not named in this, but they were all part of those decisions. The Morneau uh, file is very clear that this whole boondoggle nine hundred million dollar deal was given The Kielbergers were given the insider pass on this. So I think this is a very damning indictment of how the government does business. What we see from the Liberals is they're just saying, oh, thank God the Prime Minister didn't get uh, convicted a third time. What we saw from the Trudeau report is, you know, clearly the bad judgment of the Prime Minister of allowing himself to be wrapped around their finger. I mean, his family's working for them. His wife and daughter and mother are going to their big events in the U.K. It created an atmosphere that allowed the Kielbergers, uh, to have the okay. kind of unfettered access That's, that was really inappropriate.
0: All right, Mr. Vancouver, let me, let me have you respond to that. We we've started off talking about the Prime Minister, but the, uh, the Ethics Commissioner did find uh, uh, three breaches of conflict, uh, three breaches of the act by uh, the former Finance Minister. He's resigned. He, he's gone now. But uh, to Mr. Uh, Angus's point, what does it say about the kind of access that certain people were getting to the Finance Minister of Canada?
1: I reg- uh disagree with Mr. Angus, and so does the ethics commissioner. Uh, it's very, very clear in his report that none of the Absolutely none of the, uh, the the sections of the act were, were contravened. Uh, all of the allegations have been proven to be baseless. Uh, an appearance of up. a conflict or a question about a conflict is not a conflict
4: well, well, of interest. Well, no, it's not There's what he said. Those laws no, have been followed. No, Mr. No, Vancouver, not it's not what
1: closed. he
0: said about Mr. Morneau. He yeah. found that he breached the act on three occasions. Yeah. Uh, yes, I understand,
1: about- but Mr. Morneau has resigned. And we're not talking about Mr. Morneau. We're talking about get the get Prime Minister and the Prime Minister... Has, has nothing to defend anymore this is this is extremely clear uh, and Canadian MPs can get back to the important business of supporting Canadians through this pandemic instead of trying to impugn the prime minister for uh, something that has been proven baseless mr and, Dun- mr. Know, duncan. mr Duncan duncan if you 'd like to
0: okay yeah, mr duncan yeah i 'd like, like to let' yes
1: i 'd like to comment peter
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i just so uh, to the point that okay the uh, uh, I mean, uh, Bill, Bill Morneau is, Bill is Bill Bill saying, my bad, he's gone. Uh, he realizes he should have recused himself, said that again today, um, but, but he's gone. So w- what's the lasting impact of, of this decision today?
2: That we need Ms- better accountability laws. And I think, Peter, this goes to say it's not baseless. It was found as fact that Bill Morneau and the prime minister had actions here several times. And this whole, as Charlie mentioned, the whole organization around this and how it came about was completely inappropriate. And liberals to say, oh, you're spreading conspiracy theories and it's baseless. Adam needs to go back and read the report again because uh, it's quite damning. We need to keep the work going on this and to the work we need to do for Canadians. I agree with Adam. You know what that work should be? strengthening our accountability laws here and our conflict of interest laws, where it's not just a $200 fine, we need to toughen them up and make some real consequences for people like the Prime Minister and like Bill Morneau, who break ethics laws.
0: Mr. Mr. Angus, uh, let's talk about that. The the, uh, Ethics Commissioner points out MPs had a chance to broaden the definitions in the act to include uh, the appearance of conflict, but twice refused to do that. So is the problem the act, and does it need to be strengthened?
3: Well, certainly the act needs to be strengthened, but you can always see government members will never let that issue of appearance uh of conflict, which the public understands. The public knows what the appearance of a conflict of interest is. Um, but government members will continue to obstruct. They've obstructed our report on the WE scandal. So I'm, I'm asking my liberal colleague there, who was just giving us a whole bunch of fiction about what was in the report, let us get our report to Parliament, because we actually have recommendations on how these things need to be changed. Because what the issue here is that People who were very well connected to key liberal ministers got access to a $900 million program with no due diligence, no competition, that through uh, work that was being done on the pandemic completely out the window, left students high and dry, uh, that we lost... The finance minister of a G7 country in the biggest economic catastrophe in a century, and the liberals seem relieved because their prime minister wasn't convicted for the third time. Right. That's not good enough. Mr. Our Mr. privacy committee has very clear. I, okay, let me. Let, 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 the liberals are going to filibuster and try and block. our right. account. Look, I'm not going to take it,
1: any lessons from from opposition on on how to support Canadian youth. Our government was there for Canadian youth and students for the summer last year. As probably you were there Secretary for the for youth and for students, I can say that we we stepped up when we were there for. Members of your writing for for constituents of your writings as well, and yeah, I, the, I, I wasn't spending any North fiction, North Mr. Angus. South. I was reading directly uh, from the report, which said the Prime Minister did not contravene no, any of the subsections
3: Mr. More, no, that satisfied you just that the
1: Prime Minister did not give we any preferential treatment, and the decisions he made in the matter were not influenced by the identity okay. of the. right, of his Ms, Ms, Mr. Duncan, where
0: Mr. Duncan, so uh, you, you, beyond oh, need, okay. all right, Mr. Hang on, Mr. beyond, I mean, you can't office, have the office, final word here, uh, Mr. Uh, Angus. It's the no, Mr. Vancouver, Cooverton, thanks very much, Mr. Thank Duncan. You. Let me move to you. Do we? I mean, so I, opposition parties want to keep this story alive through various uh, committee uh, um, studies here that you're trying to to mount or or keep going. Um, in the face of this report, uh, how do you keep doing that? So uh, yeah, guilty that we want to keep discussing
2: this issue and reforming our accountability and ethics laws in Ottawa full-on guilty. Accuse me of that, and I'm proud to wear that with a badge of honour. Uh, you know, as Adam says about trying to help Canadian youth, no, they tried to help the We Charity, they tried to help the Kielbergers, and that program got scrapped. Uh, that part didn't actually happen because the whole program collapsed because of what the Prime Minister, the Finance Minister, and the government did. So their record of delivering for youth didn't yeah. happen as good as it could have last year
3: because of their ethics challenges.
0: All right. That's Mis- another fact, Mr. Mr. Angus. You do, in fact, get fifteen or thirty seconds here to finish up, please.
3: Well, I, I think this has been very tawdry. It's really damaged the Liberals' credibility uh, at the height of the pandemic when we were all working together. Um, this was a real unnecessary disaster. I think this issue is almost f- finished. We have to finalize our report to Parliament. I want to move on. We've got lots of other issues to deal Great. with. I just want to know if the Liberals are going to continue to filibuster and block the report because I think the report will help Parliament and will help future governments. We need to make sure that these things don't happen. Okay, we'll so <laughs> Liberals don't seem to want to do that. We want to make sure that future governments are held okay, to some standards. So let's get our report done, and then we can move on. I,
0: I have to end it there. We'll continue to follow the story. Thank you, Thank you all for your time tonight. Take care, Take everyone. Care. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Now to the key developments on COVID-19 and the ongoing third wave. Case counts continue to moderate in most parts of Canada as the province of Quebec has now joined most other provinces announcing it will no longer administer the AstraZeneca vaccine as a first dose. The Premier of Ontario has extended the stay-at-home order and restrictions in that province until June 2nd. And Doug Ford has sent another letter to the Prime Minister repeating his demand that the federal government force pre-flight testing on all domestic air travellers and to invoke a mandatory three-day hotel quarantine for people crossing the land border. There's two things Justin Trudeau is responsible for. Two things only throughout this whole pandemic is to make sure we have enough vaccines... And we saw what happened there. Uh, now we're getting a few more vaccines, which is good. And we're grateful for that, and we're getting them out. And to uh, make sure we secure the borders. And it's just not happening. You know, there are 3,000, just at Pearson alone that we know of, 3,200 people since January have, have come in here with COVID, not to mention the, the, the thousands on the land border. And, and it's just unacceptable. I, I, you know, I, I sit back and think, you know, you know there's a problem and he's not doing anything about it. Like, what gives? Well, let's talk about travel and border restrictions with my next guest. Kelly Lee is a professor of public health at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia. Professor Lee, thanks for your time tonight. Look, does the Premier of Ontario have a case or is he off base in calling on the federal government to enact tighter controls on testing for domestic air travelers and a mandatory hotel quarantine for those travelers coming into Canada at the land border.
5: Yes, the premier is clearly feeling frustrated because international borders and interprovincial travel falls under the federal government. So he's he is right to argue that border management in Canada during this pandemic is still not where it needs to be. And so our research has been looking at these inconsistencies, loopholes, workarounds, you know, all these exceptions that I think the premier is, is observing. And really, we have a policy is more like Swiss cheese mm. rather than border management. So we do need to tighten up in order to ensure that we stop importing variants into the country. So there is a serious conversation definitely to be had. Um, it's a very critical time during this pandemic. And hopefully this conversation can be had without being subsumed by partisan politics.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Look, we've seen numbers lately that, and you've, you, you've got all kinds of numbers, I'm sure, that some of the ones I've seen that show 60% of flights linked to COVID-19 infections in April, for instance, were domestic flights. Uh, should we be forcing anyone flying between Canadian airports, Canadian cities, to be tested before they get on a plane to travel to another province?
5: Well, there is an argument to be made for that because we know that any kind of travel from local travel to global travel is is really spreading this virus around and continuing to do so. So the more that we can ensure that travelers are not doing that, whether they're boarding a flight uh, domestically or internationally, the better. So the problem with the testing, though, is 72 hours before is not foolproof. So, you know, you have three days before you travel and you could be infected during that time. So there has to be some maybe a tighter way of testing people either before they they board with rapid testing or perhaps really trying to create disincentives so people are only traveling for really essential reasons and not for holidays, for example.
0: Okay. Uh, What more could we be doing uh, to deal with... uh, These measures at the at at the borders and uh, to try and control. Uh, Does the premier have a point on that? He says, look, people are showing up by car uh, having uh, coming out of the United States and they're crossing into Canada at the land border and they're uh, not being forced to quarantine. Well, they do when they get they're told they got to quarantine for 14 days, but they're not forced to go to a government hotel. Should they
5: be? Yeah, we're hearing all sorts of stories that the current policies are are creating all these loopholes and so on. So the federal government needs to move closer to what we've seen as a gold standard globally. So there are a lot of countries have got this right, and we can learn from those countries. They range from South Korea and Taiwan to what we often hear of Australia and New Zealand. We can't be exactly like them, but we can do better. So that means um, a lot of things have to be tightened up. We've moved some way towards that gold standard, but we're falling short. So we're still taking a preventative approach, for example. We're waiting to see what happens, and then if a variant shows up, we suddenly slam on a flight ban to, to specific countries and so on. So that's not actually very effective. We need to be preventative. We also need to think about treating all travelers the same as much as possible. There will be exemptions, and that should be a really small number. But we really need to screen test and quarantine as many travelers as possible and not have, you know, variation in terms of points of entry, you know, land, air, sea, whether they're traveling for essential reasons or not, or where they're coming from. All travelers should be treated as the virus treats them, as a kind of ride into Canada. So we have to make sure that we uh, screen test and quarantine every traveler that we can. We could vaccinate the rest and then that way we would have a better uh, system of management.
0: Just quickly to finish on this, uh, Canadians are watching uh, this conversation between politicians and, and you know, watching uh, federal and provincial politicians kick the can back and forth. Uh, lots of finger, pointings, uh, finger pointing about who's responsible for trying to stop the introduction of the variants into Canada and how to prevent them from moving across the country. Who needs to take responsibility for that?
5: Well, if we could turn the clock back, ideally we would have put all, a lot of the restrictions at the international border. That was difficult at the time back in January. This was a really unprecedented situation. So now we're more than a year forward. We still have to do, it, do this kind of thing at different levels of government. So actually, it's not just one level of government. It has to be the federal to start with, but the provincial government has to have that... Um, complementary approach. It's a layered approach that has to be integrated across different levels of government, because all travel actually potentially moves this virus around. So when we have one level of government not really doing their job, others can't really, you know, take up the slack. It really has to be an integrated uh, approach. And and hopefully, you know, we're moving towards that and put the bickering behind us.
0: All right, Professor Lee, uh, thanks so much for your time tonight. Uh, Great to talk to you and take care. Thank you, Peter. Bringing our panel of party commentators now this week joined by Susan Smith, a Liberal commentator. Tim Powers is a Conservative commentator and Kiavash Najafi is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all again. Susan, the Prime Minister <coughs> has been cleared of accusations of conflict of interest by the Ethics Commissioner today who says uh, there was a strong appearance of conflict involving the Prime Minister but that the act doesn't include appearance of conflict in the definition of conflict of interest. So Justin Trudeau has already acknowledged he should have recused himself from the we decision. So how much of a win is this? for the Prime Minister today?
6: I don't know if you want to call it a win, because it means we're talking about it again, but the Ethics Commissioner has investigated. The Ethics Commissioner says there's no ethics violations, so the story should be over. Unfortunately, it probably won't be over because the Conservatives and the NDP and the opposition will have a heyday with it, but the Prime Minister was cleared, and it's important to remember the program or the reason that what was being talked about was about a program trying to get youth uh summer employment when jobs were cancelled so the ethics commissioner looked into it it should put the matter to rest as far as the prime minister is concerned bill morneau um tapped by the ethics commissioner on he's no longer in cabinet he apologized both men apologized at the beginning for any appearances of any kind of conflict, but the Ethics Commissioners ruled it's
3: over, should
0: be. uh, Tim, the Finance Minister who quit over this is long gone, but the Ethics Commissioner, Susan points out, says uh, Bill Marno broke the rules repeatedly in fact. Uh, How does the Prime Minister and his government emerge from this ethics investigation today?
4: Well, I don't think they should have a ticker tape parade uh, marshaled by the Kielberger brothers. That's probably not the right approach, Peter. Uh, Look, Susan's right. It's going to stay in the news. Yes, the prime minister himself is cleared, but Bill Morneau wasn't. Bill Morneau, yes, has gone for politics, but the conservatives, the New Democrats, the Greens, the bloc will all point and say there's a pattern of behavior here. Yes, he got off this time, but what about the core of the government? So whenever there's an ethics issue like this and there's still... Elements to the story. Opposition parties don't give up on it at all.
0: Uh, Kievesh, the other thing that's underlined by the ethics commissioner's uh, findings today is uh, some some weaknesses in the ethics legislation. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. clearly noted again today. But what are your thoughts on what he has uh, concluded?
7: Susan made an interesting point. At the end of the day, this was about finding jobs, summer jobs for the students who had been impacted by by the pandemic, and I think they are the real um, the real victims of uh, this whole process. Um, At the end of the day, those jobs did not get realized. Nine hundred twelve million dollars that was supposed to go toward that did not go that way because um, folks who were friendly with the prime minister and the finance minister did not manage to get the contract they wanted. And I think that's the part that is going, that I think people are gonna start paying more attention to that's, you know, if it's not liberal friends getting the contract, apparently the service does not get it delivered.
0: All right, Uh, look, let's let's switch gears a bit. Uh, The the battle between Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau is back in the news again today, Susan. Uh, Doug Ford taking another shot at the prime minister over what he says are lax border and travel rules during the pandemic. But uh, what was also interesting is Doug Ford has been mostly invisible for the past month. And that's a a long stretch from his almost daily news conferences dealing with the pandemic response. What's behind the strategy uh, of making the premier less visible?
6: Well, he's not popular at the moment and it's best to keep him out of the limelight people aren't buying what doug ford is selling in the moment when it comes to his attacks on the government of canada what people want are their vaccines in their arms that's improving people are frustrated by the third lockdown that's been extended yet again and they blame it on doug ford they blame it he's also he was invisible during the report on the long-term care homes so there's been a lot of negativity around the premier's handling of the pandemic and that's why they're keeping them under wraps. And that's exactly what trying to pick a fight with Trudeau over borders is about. Um, Everybody who's paying attention knows that that is not the key source of spread in Ontario. It's workers in factories, essential workers who are having to work um, and can't stay home, can't isolate when they're unwell. And, And so Ford is deflecting. And he's trying, to, he's trying to pin the blame somewhere else instead of on him where it has been squarely
0: focused. Yeah, Tim, let me hear you on this. Uh, challenges for the Premier in Ontario and how he, uh, if he can, move on from them.
4: Well, I, I think they're both playing the blame game, the prime minister and the premier, because they're both sensitive to the fact that they don't want to be targeted targeted by the public as being responsible for elements of the pandemic, which they're going to be anyway. Uh, Doug Ford wants to start to focus on his election campaign a year from now, and Justin Trudeau's already in a hyper mode preparing for his probably in three months. So this is a normal fight between the two of them. The most frustrating thing though, as a citizen, and I think even with all of our partisan inclinations, we could all agree, can you both stop it? We're not done yet. We're not through the pandemic. There's still, everybody needs to get vaccinated once, if not twice. So they both have to be careful for some blowback here from their own party and from the broader public who just want to get through this pandemic and don't want to see self-interested politicians acting in a traditional self-interested way.
7: All right, Kiyavash, what do you think? I completely agree with Tim. Uh, Ford would be dreaming in Technicolor, thinking that he can get out of the mess that he's created by just blaming Justin Trudeau um, and potential shortcomings at the, at the border for the experience that we've had in Ontario. But at the same time, I think Justin Trudeau would be making a mistake by not uh, by not pushing back on what he sees there. That said, I agree with with what Tim is saying. the The best pushback for Justin Trudeau would be to deliver the vaccines and uh, and get us closer to full uh, inoculation, rather than try to have a, um, you know, this kind of a uh, match with the pre- with the premier. When, uh, <laughs> when, when you wrestle with a pig, you both get dirt on your uh, on yourselves. And I don't think uh, it's going to be good for Justin Trudeau to have this wrestling match with Doug Ford.
0: I'll I'll leave that. To- uh, just the way, just the way you said it there. I guess the look. Let's move it west, though, because uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. So quick answers here. But Susan, look, Jason Kenney's got his own problems with open rebellion now from his caucus over his leadership uh, style, his tighter pandemic restrictions. Caucus chair is calling for who uh, just resigns, calling for his, uh, Jason Kenney to quit, his step down as the premier. H- how did the Kenney Express get off the rails like this?
6: I don't know. I mean, this is a bad news scenario for Jason Kenney. There's no question about it. I think he got off the rails, Peter, because he was more worried about his caucus than he was worried about managing the pandemic. And the problem is, in trying to keep his caucus happy, he made the rest of Alberta upset and the rest of Alberta sick or sicker, right? Because the COVID numbers are so bad there. So what Kenney should have done was worried less about politics at the beginning and focused entirely on how to keep things, how to keep The COVID numbers managed in the province. But he was dealing with this flank, 18 members signed a letter in April saying they're resisting the restrictions and he let that slide and he let the rodeo slide and he let other things slide. And so now he's in trouble because nobody's happy on either side and members within his caucus are openly revolting and a caucus stepping down is a
0: really big deal. What does he do here Tim?
4: What does he need to do? Well, he might want to take that ravenous pack of uh, caucus members on a trip somewhere and see if they can find some other game to, to focus on, Peter. But uh, Jason Getty's not unused to this. He was, in fact, a ravenous caucus member at one point when he was a member of the Federal Conservative Party. But he, the, the serious answer to the question, he's got to find a way to connect with them and the people they represent, which is rural Alberta, by and large. And in rural Alberta, as it is in many parts of Canada, the rural experience with COVID is different uh and jason mm-hmm. kenney perhaps should have just been very consistent all the way along instead of trying to bounce and i agree with susan on this the different political interest in his own caucus so that they wouldn't have a bigger uh demarcation of uh of uh, of interests
0: 30 seconds for you kievash to finish this up tonight
7: I think the political culture in Alberta, at least for the conservatives, is still uh, very much relying on the hegemony of the of the conservative movement in Alberta and doesn't understand that politics doesn't just happen within the, the confines of the caucus and the party leadership, but that there is a threat of losing a, uh, a future election. Um, I think Notley is setting her, herself up for uh, for winning. I think more and more Albertans who did not vote for her and everybody who did vote for her in the previous election is coming to the conclusion that they would have been better off with Notley if they had elected her. Um, the fact that Jason Kenney is going to be focused on internal politics rather than helping Albertans get through the worst crisis in North America right now, they have the worst numbers in North America, um, is just going to add to, to the sense that this caucus okay. and this party and this premier are not on the side of people and they are more focused uh, with the bottom of their own party. All right. Thank
0: you all for uh, your perspectives tonight. Uh, We'll talk again. Take care, everyone. Thank you. you, And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching.